Uh, today, we're going to be talking about uh, screen time and its effect on our mental health and kind of how to treat that, but also, you know, what does that even mean? We'll look at, we're going to look at some numbers, we're going to look at uh, scientifically what it does to our brain and also just content-wise what that does to us in our emotional state as well. I'm purposely choosing not to use PowerPoint today just because it's so much information that you would get distracted. And since we're talking about screen time, I will just be the one on the screen. Today, unless you're taking notes on a computer, I won't judge you. I trust you. It'll be okay. Uh, we're going to start just with a little public service announcement. After this, you're going to think, I need to unplug all my screens and throw them away. That's just not how this is. It's not our world. So just know that what we're going to try to learn today is how do we operate in a world where technology is just kind of king. We spent two years just on our computers because we all had to stay at home. So we're always attached to something. So the goal isn't you know, getting rid of all this stuff. The goal is how do I learn to navigate the world where we're constantly going to be on uh, screens and how do, we, how do we take some pause on that. Also, uh, what we're going to talk about today is, is not necessarily how screen time causes this stuff. There's just a really strong correlation between the two. So all the studies that I'm going to kind of talk about and bring up just kind of show that there's a really deep and strong correlation between the amount of time we spend on our phones, uh, playing video games and social media, and how it affects our, our emotional well-being as well. So with that said, we're going to kind of jump into some numbers, and then we're going to tackle some business up front. How often are we on our phones? Studies show in 2016, 84% of all Americans have a smartphone in their household. Oh, I forgot to mention. This is important too. All of the things I'm going to give you was pre-COVID. So now imagine these numbers are going to be elevated extremely due to COVID stress as well. Okay, so take my numbers, they go up to about 2018. So everything after that, and I'm going to give you some of my own research. My name is Gavin Crutcher. I have to introduce myself. I'm a minister at Elk Grove Church Christ. I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I am a lead mental health clinician for a school district in Northern California. So I work a lot with kids that are labeled as either emotionally disturbed or that need, actually I just work with everybody at this point, um, from kindergarten through uh, 12th grade, the last year, specifically elementary school age. And I'm gonna kind of touch on some things that we're seeing in our world as well. So as of 2016, 84% of all Americans have a smartphone in their home. 92% of teens aged 13 to 17 are online daily and average six hours a day on their screen time. If you ask them now, which I've done, that number might be low, believe it or not. Six hours just feels like an eternity, but it might be low. 80% uh, of people check their phone within an hour of waking up, and half of 18 to 24 year olds will check it um, within five minutes of waking up. Now you want to hear something that's even crazy. We have had such an impulse to constantly be checking our phones that there is even data on some people have the urge and do check their phones even while doing things like having sex or other things like that. That's the world that we are in, believe it or not. And it's such a high percentage that it blew my mind that would even make the studies like 10% of people, which is like, who's got time for that? But I guess people do. In 2015, for people aged 24 and under, instant messaging and text messaging, DMing, took the place of calling people. So no longer do people call each other or talk to each other in person. Most kids or young adults would rather text somebody, which will lead into some conversation later. 
Um, amongst 8th to 10th graders, we're going to talk a little bit about social media, just percentage, and we're going to really delve into the science behind some things and also the content. Among 8th and 10th graders, spending 10 hours only a week, right, on social media, 56% of them reported to be more likely to be unhappy. So 10 hours a week, not just a day, a week, right? And at 6 hours, it was 47% reported to be um, unhappy. Those two numbers are not that far apart, but the more that they're on, the more we start to see that. From 2011 to 2015, amongst 8th and 10th graders, um, the increase of feeling lonely jumped up 33%. So in four years, we had a 33% increase in our young people feeling um, more lonely. 12th graders, it was only 22%, but we're kind of finding out with studies, the older that you get, the more you can kind of discern and decipher some of the information that you're retrieving on social media, which we'll tackle a little bit later. Uh, visiting social media daily, uh, studies have shown that it is rapidly increasing the risk to feel lonely and left out. We're going to get into the nuts and bolts of that here in a minute. Uh, there's a couple different studies that were big. One of them came out of UCLA, and it's continuing. Uh, the other one is the American College Health Association, and they track uh, anxiousness amongst college students. And so this is what we found in college students as of, and this is uh, up to 2016, so this number we've only seen increase since then. But in 2011, 50% of college students reported feeling uh, an overwhelming sense of anxiety. In 2016, that jumped up to 62%. UCLA does a study, and it's been happening since uh, 1985. And every decade they do, they follow freshmen, and they track this. In 1985, when they asked freshmen, um, are you overwhelmed with all that you have to do? Only 18% of them um, reported yes. Now we jump to 2010, and it goes up to 29%. Now the wild part is from 2010 to 2016, it jumped all the way up to 41% of college students affirmed feeling overwhelmed by all they had to do. Here's something that's really interesting in the mix of all of that. In 2007, the iPhone was released, and we just read that by 2015, every household, about 84% of them had a smartphone. So we start to do the math. We see this rapid increase that has jumped from 18% in 85. It's 41% in 2016. I did my own study amongst 535 fifth and sixth graders at three schools that I work at. And I did it through a survey, so it wasn't a peer pressure to raise your hand type of thing. We started to ask all these different questions. One of the questions was, do you feel overwhelmed with all the things you have to do? Just to kind of follow suit, 72% of all of my fifth and sixth graders reported feeling overwhelmed with all the stuff they have to do. Fifth and sixth graders, which is wild. So we'll start to kind of talk about some of those things as well. One of the things that they noticed in college is for our high achieving, anxious people, that they don't know how to break it, so they'll just work and work and work and work until they're just toast. And the reason that it's important to kind of have an awareness of that is those are the ones we have to look out for for risk for harming themselves. So just know, even though you might have students that are working with that are really high performers or are getting all the good grades, uh, they aren't um, free from the risk of anxiety and depression to a point where they may feel the need to harm themselves because they work so hard that they don't feel like there's any relief and they have to keep going until they burn out. 
So I want to just talk about the science behind some things real quick, and then we'll, we'll really delve into some things. So we're going to do something together here that it'll just make this interactive for you. So what I need everybody to do is we're going to hold our hand up like this. For those listening at home, we're making what looks like a B in sign language. If you don't know it, Google it. And then wrap your fingers over that, like this. Okay, this is just an easy way that I explain how this goes. I do this with my kids as well when I do this in classes. This is what our brain looks like, believe it or not. This part of our brain right here is your prefrontal cortex. And your prefrontal cortex, this is where our parasympathetic nervous system is. This is our logical thinking. This is where we feel safe in school systems. We call this like our ready-to-learn part of the brain. When we feel safe, we can receive information. We're okay. If we go like this and flip it back up, this is what we say. This is when we flip our brain. This is our amygdala. Normally I make you repeat these things, but you're adults. We got this. This is our amygdala. Our amygdala is our fear, stress response, right? This is our midbrain. This is our sympathetic nervous system. This is our fight or flight mode. This is an important part of our brain, right? When we were cavemen, we needed this because the world was trying to kill us, right? So everything was a threat and we needed to know. If there was a fire in here, what are we going to do? Most likely, because look how cramped this room is, we're going to trample each other and try to get out the door. We're not going to care about everybody else. We're not going to think about, like, I wonder how that fire started. I wonder if they should fix this building so that we can fix this need for fire suppression. We're not going to do that. We're going to get out of here, right? The downside is, is we're doing some things to our brain, which we'll talk about here in a minute, without knowing that it's triggering this part of our brain all the time. So let's get into what the science says. Everybody pull your phone out for me. Some of you already did. Nice. <laughs> The cool thing is, is, I can say that all of you have one, right? So let's go with that first. When you are on your phone, how often do you find yourself looking like this? Right? We are swiping, we're moving, the screen is going, right? Okay. How many of you in the room have uh, our parents? How many of your kids like to play video games? How many of your wives? How many of your husbands like to play video games? Husbands, wives? This is not a gender specific thing. How many of your kids like to play single shooter games like Call of Duty or Fortnite? Or they do games like Minecraft where you're a single person, you're moving around, or any of those things? Okay. I'm not going to talk about content. Studies show video games will not change your moral compass, they won't make you a violent person if you're not a violent person. But what all of these things do, just the movement of your screens, the brightness of your screens, all these different things, put into your brain and triggers you into a fight or flight response. And here's how I like to explain it in the simplest of terms. Have you ever been sitting somewhere, maybe uh, on a couch or outside, and you think you see something move out of the corner of your eye? What do you do? Usually, you react in a way that goes like, what was that? Yeah. Now imagine you're doing that for two plus hours while you're on your phone playing a video game. You're triggering your brain to have that response over and over and over and over again. But you don't realize that you're doing it. So, sometimes when we are in that triggered space, we will make normal situations into a threat response situation. Because some of you raise your hands at your parents, how many of you have ever had this situation before? Because you are good parents, I'm going to do this in a good way. You go to your kid who's playing a video game and you say, hey buddy, or hey sweetie, in about 10 minutes, it's going to be time to shut off that game. Mm -hmm. Okay, mom, pull, no worries. Okay, or dad. And then, you're, because you're good parents, five minutes later, you go, hey, buddy, 
five more minutes, we're gonna turn our game off. All right, Dad, cool, I got it. That five minute comes up, and you say, all right, buddy, now it's time to turn the game off. What do you get? Oh, no, five more minutes. Oh, I just started. What are you doing? I gotta finish this game. You don't even love me. What are you talking about? <laughs> we lose our minds. Why? Because all of a sudden, this thing that we need so desperately in our minds, now you're talking to me and you're taking away this thing I need. So now you are a threat to me and I have to respond as such. Now this happens not just on video games, it happens on the phones too. Anybody ground their kid and take their phone away? You ever see the withdrawal of that moment? Talk about coming off of heroin, it is a stressor, right? Your kid wants to kill you for something that you didn't even do. They did the thing, right? You shouldn't have done that. Now I have to take your phone. Usually it takes a couple of days for them to kind of detox from that and you get a different kid. But all of that to be said is what is happening in our brain is we are starting to build up a sense of always being on. And when that happens, it affects more than just our irritability. It affects more than just feeling that we're in fight or flight mode all the time. Our executive functioning is firing so much that we actually aren't retaining information as well as we would either. And we're not sleeping as well as we would either. And our immune system is taxed more. And we're producing so much cortisol and adrenaline all the time that we are now more perceptible for getting health issues and all these other things. When I did my own research with my own kids at the schools that I work at, and we talked about how often are you sleeping, all of them said under six hours of sleep. Mm -hmm. Except for like two or three kids. And this is out of like 500. What age was this? I'm sorry. These are mostly my fifth and sixth graders, but I did the same conversation with my seventh and eighth graders when I was working in junior high. But the studies go, this is not just for kids. We are so attached to our phones that this is where I'm going to sneak in adult stuff. Right? Mm -hmm. How many of you are masochists and done the thing of put your work email on your cell phone? Yeah, yeah. How many of you are checking that email about 10, 11 o'clock at night? How many wake up in the morning and check that email first thing in the morning? Yeah, guess who's not sleeping so well at night? All of you. Because what happens is when we're on our screens right before we get into bed, the melatonin that our body produces produces it late. So we're not actually getting a deep sleep until it's about time to wake up. Mm -hmm. So what's happening is our circadian rhythm is getting all thrown out of whack because we're spending so much time taxing our brain, not just with the information. Sometimes it's not the content. It's just the physical sense of being on a screen, all the movement, all the things. Now, that's a lot, right? When I first heard all this information, the first thing I did was I texted my wife and I said, make sure that Grayson is not playing his iPad right now. Because <laughs> it's like, you know, it freaks you out. We can't, you know, eliminate completely the fact that we're going to be on the screen. So in, in a little bit, we're going to talk about what are some things that we can do to kind of offset some of this stuff. But before we get to that, what if now you realize that if I'm on a screen all day, if I'm on a phone all day, and I'm checking things all the time, and I'm constantly kind of feeling the need. How many of you ever left your house without your phone? Accidentally. Accidentally. Yeah. How many of you uh, are so tied to it that you turned all the way around to go back and pick up your phone? Something I we do this, right? We have this feeling and need to be constantly connected all the time. And this is what we're going to get into when it comes to content. I'm going to start first with social media. Uh, so, so think already, we're elevated because we're on our screens all the time. So just have that there. But now let's go into how does this social media, things like that, affect us even more by the content of which 
uh, we were at. So I'm going to talk about this idea of, so here's, I have to break this to you guys. We're old in this room because the idea of what we're going to talk about is Facebook chain. No kids are on Facebook. I'm just going to throw that out there to you. Only as old people are. So just know when I say Facebook chaining, I also mean Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and all these different things. Shame equals that I feel bad or flawed or wrong or imperfect. And sometimes when we're looking at social media, all those things kind of come out to us. Brene Brown says that shame is nearly intolerable unless it's met with opportunities for verbalization of empathy. Social media does not give us the opportunity to correct that. We are just taking it in and looking at it. So here are the most common things uh, that we will feel this shame for. All of you in here as parents, you're looking at what all these other great parents are doing. And you feel shame because you didn't cut their cucumbers to look like flowers. You barely got it together to find that Lunchable and throw it in their bag, or God forbid, you gave them $2 to get school lunch. But California is free, so you don't have to feel like that. We feel it. We didn't take them on the best vacation. We didn't do all these things as parents we can get caught up in. Am I giving my kid the most opportunity to be successful? Because Susie over there, she's got her kid doing 20 hours a week in ballet. She's going to be the next great thing. But I'm over here just watching TV with my kid. Right? We're going to feel some of those shames. Kids, it's all, i got to be honest, it's so bad that they are constantly in a battle of comparison with their life. Everything they see is a comparison and a complete redirection of how off they are compared to what they see from other people. And it's hard for them to start to, to shift it to say, well, they're just putting, you know, we can logically speak to them as adults. You know that's not real. That's a filter. You, you know that they're just giving you this little snippet. The rest of their life is probably not that great. They don't care because all they see is what's in front of them. And what they see looks different than who they are, which is difficult. Uh, another really big thing that is affecting us as adults, but especially our kids, is this fear of missing out. Right? You've heard of FOMO. We all get it, right? Yeah. This is a great case study uh, that was talking about this family. This family had, had given their 15-year-old daughter the uh, responsibility of picking what they want to do for vacation. It's pretty cool. She got excited about it. She said, plan the whole thing. We're going to go to Disneyland. We're going to spend like three days. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Parents are like, cool. She's planned this, so it's going to be good. So they're hanging out. Cool day of Disneyland. Looking pretty great. She's enjoying herself. All of a sudden, she gets the bing, bing, bing. She looks at her phone, and it's her little whatever, Snapchat, whatever they're doing. She sees all of her friends going to a movie without her. And immediately, her response to this is, what do you think? Let's go home. I just planned this thing at Disneyland. Cost all of this money. She felt that because her cohort is more important than her family, and that they're having fun without her, that if she didn't get there right away, in her mind, it's, I'm going to lose this friendship group, or they don't care about me. So what do you think she did to her family halfway through this three-day trip? She made them miserable until they decided to pack up and drive home. We experience these things as parents. I can share my own personal story there, but since this is recorded, I won't put my 
hold its own blast for things that happen sometimes. We, we experience these type of things, but we don't understand where it's come from. We might just view it as, wow, my kid is extra moody. Or why are they so irritable? Maybe they're just going through their stuff. And that could be the case. However, we also know that we're adding so much uh, to our brains that aren't ready to handle all that stuff. So, we talked about earlier this percentage, right, of how many of our, our kids are on social media every day. And it said like six hours a day on social media and on their phones. Um, if I'm being honest with you, I, I think it's probably higher than that. What the studies were showing us, we're really were focusing on like the eighth graders and up. But I work in a school where I have kindergarten rolling in with iPhones. And I got kindergartners that are watching TikTok all day. And they know more content about certain things of our bodies that I didn't know until I was in college. And I go, what is going on? Because we have access to so much information that our brains aren't ready to take. And it comes at us so hard that we start to normalize things that shouldn't be normalized. And so what starts to happen is we're building up this just constant feeling of, of, of anxiety as we move forward in our life. And then when you pair that to content, it just magnifies it. Now, all of you here, we've survived the last few years, but guess what those last few years did to all of us while we're sitting at home and staring at things more? It just made some of these things worse. Um, and so a lot of our kids have come back uh, with even more anxiousness. They, now they're on top of all this other stuff. Now they're afraid to be around people, some of them, because they don't want to die, or they've been told if they get this and grandma gets it, then they're going to die. And now I have kids that don't want to be around people because they don't want to kill their grandma because that's what they, they've been told, or that's what they see on social media, or that's what they see wherever, right? So we have all these things that just hit us and hit us and hit us and hit us. And if we don't have something set up for us for some kind of self-care and relief and treatment, we will just fry ourselves out. So, let's talk about some of those things that could help us a little bit, but also be aware. So before we get into that, we have, kind of have an idea. Some of us here work with kids in church. Some of us have our own kids. Some of us are young adults in ourselves. And I like to say that for me, but I'm old. Um, we have these, you know, hopes of working with people, but we're also churches too. So I, I want to eventually get to like, how can we as church people kind of help in this space as well, okay? We don't want to just completely leave that out as being at a Bible lecture, not talking about anything when it comes to the church. Um, I, wanted, I, I forgot to mention one thing that I think is really important. Uh, all of us in here, raise your hand if you remember life without the internet. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So we're all people. Even if you feel young, if you remember life without the internet, you're old people. Life without cell phones, you might have had a cell phone that you never used because it cost you $100 per minute. Okay, but we remember what it's like to do that. This is why I wanted to focus mostly on kids. Us people here have had a life without this, so if it goes away, we kind of know how to operate, even though we might miss it for a little bit. We've experienced it to know that we can kind of get through this if it goes away. Some of us in here might actually enjoy the fact when we leave our cell phone at home because, hey, for the first time all week, I'm not tied down to my phone. This is great. I don't have to worry about it. Our kids, they're not that way. Since birth, like all they've known, you go to a restaurant and how do we babysit our kids? Watch this YouTube video, two-year-old in the corner. I don't want you screaming and yelling. It's our own fault. We didn't eat this animal. But that's just how we learn to operate. So our kids are coming up and all they seek 
for soothing is to be on a screen. It's this vicious cycle, so where they are looking for some relief, they don't realize it's actually causing more strain. So if you ever ask any of your kids, especially in youth group, what do you do to relax? Do you, you guys ever get on your phone to relax? You just kind of cut time? Hey, you as adults, how many of you just pop on Facebook, and next thing you know, you watch nine different videos about like a guy falling off something and hurting himself, and you're laughing, and you're like, this is great, and next thing you know, it's like four hours later, and you're still watching videos. Maybe that's not you. That might be me. But our kids, they do this. So they think I'm relaxing by playing a video game, being on my phone, not realizing that, yes, you might feel physically relaxed, but your brain is the opposite. So even when we turn off these things, our brain doesn't turn off right away. It takes things for us to do to help calm ourselves down, help calm our brain down so we can learn. Um, one of the other things besides not sleeping well, being more vulnerable to illness, all these different things. Um, retaining information is a big deal. Uh, if you have students at home and uh, they're having a hard time studying and doing different things, it's probably because they were on their screen right beforehand. So this is just a tip for you parents and grandparents out there. Don't let your kids be on the screen for 30 minutes before and after what they do, and they'll probably retain more of the information according to studies. All right, that's this. That was just a little side trick for you to take home. Here is what studies show that are going to help us um, to offset some of these things. Um, but first, when reporting uh, those who felt uh, less likely to be unhappy, here are the top three things that, that they said they did. So people who played a sport were 37% less likely to report that they were unhappy. Pretty cool, right? 37%? Go play a sport. What do you do when you play a sport? I just want to throw that out there. Normally, what do you do? Move your body. Exercise. Move your body. What else do we do when we play sport? Get endorphins. Okay. Cool. Okay, so we're not going to be on the phone. That's, that's one thing. We're going to be moving around. We're doing things. What else? Most sports are doing. Relational. Okay, we're around other people. It's a big one. And not all sports, but other sports are where they take place. Outside. So we're with other people. We're not on our phones. We're moving our bodies. And we're getting naturally some of the things that our body needs. And if you're outside, you're getting other great things like vitamin D and all those other things. So playing a sport, 37% less likely to feel unhappy. I just want to take a poll just to see where you're at. What do you think number two is? People who re attend religious services, 27% less likely to report that they are unhappy. What do we do at church? Who are we around? People. Go around people. Usually it's a more positive place. And this isn't just a Christian thing for this report, but let's just go with our group. When we get together and we're worshiping God, what does that allow us to, to know about ourselves? Anybody have? That we're loved. And guess what? There's something bigger than us. The world doesn't revolve just around us. There's something bigger guiding us. So, we got sports, church. The third one, I love telling my students because this one's great. Read actual paper books. It's shown, <laughs> it's shown to calm your brain down, to relax your brain to a point where um, it can receive information and can feel safe. So a lot of the stress and anxious responses all come from our brain feeling that it is threatened or unsafe. So all of these things that we just talked about put us in a space where we can feel 
you know, is there performance anxiety in sports and all those different things? Sure. But it wasn't about anxiousness. It was just feeling unhappy. There are happier people who play sports and go to church and read books. And even part of that reading books that was thrown in there in the study, doing homework. Wow. Blows the kids' minds. They hate it. But then when I talked to them about it, and I said, why do you not like homework? Well, it's difficult and I don't retain this information. Were you playing video games right before you did it? Yeah. Well, that's why. Take that away and let's see what happens. A lot of homework, too, isn't on, isn't paper anymore. Like, our kids have computers, and they're so if they're doing schoolwork all night, they're still on a screen. Yeah, and so here's what they say to do. This is a trip, but try it out. See if it works for you. They say, if you have to be on a computer doing your schoolwork, put that computer in a different room, and then go into the other room to do your work. Kind of weird, but they say just compartmentalizing your screen time from there. How many of you, when you're at home, are doing those work emails and all that stuff while you're trying to watch TV? <laughs> all of you? They also say, just get it done and then go do that, because you're not going to be able to enjoy or do all those things well, and you're going to be even more stressed out because you're trying to do too many things at one time. So just kind of get after that. One of the best things they say to help us um, to get our brains to a space of feeling calm and relaxed and and in a, what we call it, that ready to learn brain, or safe brain, get back into our prefrontal cortex, that parasympathetic nervous system, is what they title nature bathing, or ecotherapy, or just getting out of your house and going into nature. And now they do this in a certain way. It's not just like go out and walk outside and you're good, because all of you would take your phone with you and know you well enough without really knowing you. You're going to be walking and looking down because we have a neighborhood where everybody's outside and a lot of times there's a person who's walking their dog and just on their phone and will run right into you because they don't care if you're there because you're not existing right now. And so what they say to do for nature bathing to work is for you to be, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to go to a forest. Just go outside where there's green space. Leave your phone. Walk slow. Use your senses. One of the things that I learned to do when I was here as a student at Pepperdine, uh, that was like the best thing that ever happened to me, and I never thought I would be that guy, is I learned to enjoy running. When I was overwhelmed with stuff here at school, I would run, and I would run down John Tyler, this really steep hill, and across it is these trails that we call happy trails. They're not so happy when you're running them. You go all the way down the middle of the road, you run to the beach, and I'd run on the beach. And this is why that made me feel better. I took shoes off. Felt the sand on my feet, smelled the ocean air, sometimes I felt the water hitting my feet, the sun hitting my face, and all of a sudden all the things I worry about start to go away because my body learned that I'm in a safe space. That in itself is a safe space. Now this is a kind of a biblical thing. I think God made us to be in his creation in general. I think it grounds us to him and helps us to know even who he is. Paul talks about it in Romans that it's hard for us to deny who God is because from the beginning, his creation should be leading us to him. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good part of us understanding what this needs to be. And so, get out of the house. What could we not do over the last two and a half years all that often? Mm-hmm. Or we felt like we could get out of the house. And so what we try to do and try to tell people that could be the best influence of how you break up your screen time, how you start to learn how to put in blocks, right? So we already talked about all of us in this room know what it was like to not have cell phones, know what it was like to not have the internet. And when we did have the internet, you had to wait how long just for a picture to show up? Like forever, you hear that? And you went in and you looked, you're like, not ready yet, what'd you do? Went back outside and played. So you kind of got that screen and pop up. Now if music doesn't come, download it to you in about a second, you're freaking out and burn the house down. So what we are trying to tell our kids to do and ourselves to do for every minute that you're going to spend on your leisure time on your phone or playing video games, you need to spend that much time reading a book or being 
outside without your phones. What that does is it allows your brain and your executive functioning to shut down. When that shuts down, you can actually be in a space where your brain wants to retain things, you can be more relaxed, you can get yourself into a space where you might actually sleep, not be so stressed out and fidgeting and doing all those things. So, this isn't just for our kids, right? We kind of talked about that earlier. This is something that affects all of us. We, we all spend too much time on things. We all spend too much time connected to things and not each other. One of the things that we mentioned earlier is that for the age group of 24 and under, that text messaging and DMing and all that stuff is taking the place of uh, voice calls, let alone in-person time. On top of feeling anxious and feeling a little more depressed by all the content and the world that's kind of hitting us that we're on all the time, what also has happened is if you're not around people all the time and you're communicating mostly through words and your thumbs, what do you think that takes away from being able to do as people when we get together? Socialize. Like what? Okay, social cues. In what ways? What are we missing out on? What are some social cues? Not what are some nonverbal things that we might not get? Okay, we might not understand when somebody doesn't really want us to be around them. We might understand when we annoy somebody. We might understand when somebody likes us so much, right? That part of it. You said we might understand personal space. You know what else we don't understand when we do everything through? We lose we lose sarcasm a little bit too. We misread things. Right. How many? Teenager people that you work with, youth groups, how many of you have a youth group together and they're all sitting on a couch? Or they're all doing whatever because every youth group has a couch? And it's usually like way old. What are all these kids doing when they're together? They're on their phones. And I ask them, what are you doing? Like, are you talking to each other? Or are you just like there? How does this work? And I like being old now. Like, my day, we used to play outside. But I'm just curious of how that works, right? And our kid, he's our oldest is 21 now, but his friends all came over to go swimming and they're all sitting on the couch and they're on their phones. So I was like, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're just hanging out. I was like, no, put those down and go swim. That's what you came over to do. Go outside. Oh, yeah, outside. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, this is, we miss, in our connection with each other, we start to miss these things if all the time is spent on the phone. I have all these students when I talk to them, hey, do you, you hang out with friends after school and stuff? Yeah, all the time. What do you do? Oh, we're just on Fortnite. I was like, that's not hanging out with friends. That's you playing a video game and hearing somebody in your ear. But yeah, but you know, we hang out all the time. That's not hanging out. And those same kids have a really hard time when it comes to interpersonal relationships and having to deal with like the ups and downs of what comes with relationships too. Now, with that said, we adults can do that sometimes too because we don't want to talk to people. We send out a text message. The better, what we're starting to learn is it would be better for our kids to FaceTime with each other if that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to be on screen, at least mm -hmm. FaceTime with each other, see each other's faces, uh, get the interaction, get the inflection of the voices, get all these different things because we're missing out on that. So, so much is starting to change this. Yes, sir? It's pretty common. A lot of our, a lot of my students will like FaceTime each other but not like talk. It's like they're in the room but they'll just be doing their homework or like doing something totally different and the phone's just there for like hours and hours and hours. And I don't know if that's good or bad. Like I'm gonna say it's but, bad. Yeah. But this is why we talked about it earlier. When we have 
an impulsive desire to constantly check and look at our phones. Mm -hmm. Every time we do that, what is happening inside of our bodies is this low level of like cortisol that we're releasing, this low level of adrenaline that we're releasing because we have this feeling that I have to check it. How many of you, because like we talked about earlier, you put your work email on your phone, how many of you gotta keep going? Oh, you gotta, look, you gotta make sure there's no email. I do this all the time, it's terrible, I need it not. But we do that, or you go on Facebook, and our kids do it this way. I wonder if I got a like on that photo. I wonder if they're gonna. I wonder if I'm gonna get judged by that picture I took. I wonder. And they're constantly looking and checking and seeing. If, do I measure up? Am I okay? Am I enough? Is this gonna work? And you just feel how that is. It's not a good feeling. But that's where we're at. That's how we operate. In your in your experience, are they able to vocalize that? You want know, uh, like our fifth and sixth and seventh eighth graders able to vocalize? Because I'm like thinking of my own life. I'm like, I don't even know if I could vocalize it when I'm doing it. You know. And that's even a scarier thought, right? I, I don't think they understand what is related to them feeling that way, but my kids now can say, like, because we talk about it, we're trying to, like, break yeah. down the stigma of, yeah. like, mental health is bad, but we talk about it, right? Like, this is what anxiety is. This is what it feels like. It's something that I had a kid in my office. Hey, Mr. Gavin, I don't know why or what or all this stuff, but I kind of feel weird. My heart kind of feels like this, and I can't breathe that well, and I kind of, like, feel like, and I was like, you sound like you're kind of anxious. Oh, that's what that feels like? That's, okay, yeah, I'm that. <laughs> what, what, what's going on? Sit and talk. I think they, it's hard because like we just talked about, it's normal for them. This is baseline is anxious lately. Without knowing, because it's like this low level of anxiousness that we carry as people, especially during a pandemic, but, but numbers were off the charts before this happened. We've seen an increase of anxiety and depression over the last five years, um, it's, I mean, for adults and kids, but this is what really kind of set it ablaze over the last like, five. We had an election that was crazy. Our world right in front of us is constantly on. We didn't even, you know, part of this study was talking about like this 24 7 news cycle. News wants to do what to us? Constantly wants us to feel like the world's going to come to an end. They want to stress us out. They want us to do other things. Now you're being bombarded with all that stuff. And right in front of us, we've had a crazy election. Uh, we have violence on our streets. Racism is never gone away, but it's showing up, right? In front of us, where we can't deny because all of us are at home. So now we're seeing it, we have to deal with it. Some of us don't want to deal with it, but our kids are in the middle of it, and they don't have any way around how do I operate this. And they're seeing it through different lenses of what's true and what's not and everything. Just me talking like that, doesn't that just go, <gasps> and make you want to, like, it's stressful, right? We've had a lot. And so we were seeing this spike. Uh, so our, when I was working at the junior high with some high school kids, I did more risk assessments for suicide over the last three years than I think I've ever done, ever. And I was averaging, at one point, like two or three a month of kids that we have to hospitalize because of their feelings of like, they were so anxious. It wasn't even the depression side for most of them. They were just so anxious that they felt like the world was more difficult to be in than if they just weren't. Mm -hmm. And we said, well, what do we need to do to that? And I think this is like a good kind of detour spot real quick for our, all of us in here at some point, you're going to have an influence on a young person, even if it's yours or somebody else. But guess what? I had parents that were successful in suicide over the last three years more than I had students. So you have people in your churches that are probably struggling with a whole lot more than you ever could understand. If we don't talk about it, we're going to have issues. And this is about screen time stuff, but in all seriousness, 
the biggest thing that we've done as a church that has been terrible is telling people that if you were only more Christ-like, you wouldn't have all these issues. When I was doing uh, some private practice work, most of the guys I worked with were ministers, and I had multiple of those guys who were not safe for themselves. Mm-hmm. They had to work through some stuff because they felt like, I can't feel this way because I'm in front of people talking about Jesus, right? So we as a church have kind of screwed this up a little bit because we haven't understood that God has given us the ability to kind of work through some things with with some people. It's not just about if I just prayed harder or if I just read my Bible more, I wouldn't feel this way about myself or about other people or about my situation. You still might, but I think God gives people tools to help. I think prayer time does help, but it doesn't make me feel like much better if you come to me and say, you should pray more. Yes, sir. You gotta mention all the one another verses to talk about relationship. Because if you don't have relationship, you don't have community. Yeah. And if we don't make a space where people can be vulnerable. And that now here's the deal. Not all of us are equipped to do this. And that's okay. If there's any ministers in the room, you might not be equipped to deal with some of your high school kids' stuff when it gets to that point. Please don't feel afraid to reach out to somebody to ask for help. We don't have to be on all the time. Because for ministers, this happens too when we feel kind of insecure about ourselves because we don't know how to deal with all the problems, but we should because I'm here. So there are, are spaces for that. Um, and, and there's people who you can reach out to if you need help with that. We have networks of people around different areas. I'd love to try to connect and, and get people set up because that is one of the biggest issues. And a lot of our kids and adults are afraid to reach out because of that stigma, but also they, they don't want to feel worse. And a lot of places have beaten us up enough uh, where they don't want to do that. So, like I said, man, three minutes. Um, I want to just give time for questions because I know there's probably some, but um, there's more information. If you want more, before you leave, I'll have a little booklet. Just put your email out. I'll send you a lot of this stuff. And more resources. In the back of this PowerPoint that I would send you is like nine pages of like a bibliography of just different books, different studies, different things that you can look at. Um, this isn't new. I mean, people have felt anxious forever, but the screen time adding to it just by not even the content, uh, but in addition to that, and a pandemic, and wearing masks, and texting everybody, and you know, our news cycle freaking us out all the time, having information bombarding us all the time, it plays a role in really feeling this way. Um, if you ever want to be the bad parent, just say you're not getting a smartphone until you're 17. And this is why Bill Gates said, I can't give it to my kids until they're 17, their brains aren't ready for it. You're not mm-hmm. He's the guy that makes this stuff. So just, just know that you can be a bad parent by being a good parent and just kind of limiting things. Uh, I wanted to show this to you guys just as a resource. Anybody have iPhones that you use and your kids might have? You go on your iPhone and you pull down that little bar, you can, you can, you can type in screen time. Yeah. And on your screen time, you can limit how often they're on their phones, what apps they're on. Just be aware, like more than anything, and, and we weren't the best at this and we're trying to get better, it's just knowing what your kids are doing. Just have that time. When they come in, you can say, hey, I just want to check, see what you've been doing, what you've been looking at, what's going on. I want you also to know that you can talk to me if you're feeling overwhelmed with certain things. And you know what, they don't need to be on social media all the time. It's been 
a lot, especially this year and in schools. Mainly TikTok. Vain mm. of all issues. But there's good too, so I need to throw this out there because I would get in trouble if I didn't. Social media can be used for really good things. Some of our kids have social anxieties. This is a great way for them to get introduced to it. There's great support groups on there. There are some good things. It's just we have to be able to monitor what's happening and be able to put in some blocks, right? There, you can put it down. You can go outside. You can play with friends. You can have these different things. You don't always have to be on your phone. I know you hate me, but give it a few minutes and you'll like me again, right? There's, we, can, we can have these conversations. But if we're not doing that, we're allowing our students to really start to spiral and, and to places that they don't know they're going to get to until they're already there and it's really hard to deal to pull them back out. So just be aware, have spaces for that. When you're in your groups with your youth group, you can have time to talk. Just call it whatever you want to call it. But hey, let's just check in with everybody. Everybody put your phones out for a little bit. How are we doing? Like we can we can do this, right? We can be vulnerable a little bit. What are we doing? We're doing okay? How can I pray for you? Like when you're at school and you're feeling a certain way, you can text me and I'll just be like, you know, I'm praying for you right now. Just so they know that there's somebody in the corner, that there's something bigger than them that's working with them. And we can give them spaces to talk about this. You might have some parents that are having a really hard time being parents. Maybe they're not super consistent and they don't have a lot of structure. But maybe you can give them some tools like, hey, this is some things that we can look at. Whatever it is, just find space because if we can catch them young, so much less baggage to deal with if we can really start to work through some of these things before they become adults. So we hit our time, but I'll take questions. Resources, books. I'm going to send you a whole bunch of stuff. So you just give me your name and email and I'll send you stuff. Um, just a comment, two quick questions yes. with regards to the happiness study that you mentioned. Sure. They've also looked at uh, longevity, morbidity, mortality, and in octogenarians in particular. If the, the biggest, uh, they look at hypertension, smoking, sure. diabetes, all those things. Longevity, biggest factor, social relationships, social connectivity in that age group. Yep. And so not only does it make you happy, it makes you live longer with mm. social connectivity. And then you, you made a comment about Violent games don't change your moral compass. And there were studies about that. Mm -hmm. Do you not think that there is some level of complacency? Like desensitization stuff? Yeah, yeah. And therefore, does that not, in fact, affect moral compass, although it doesn't change it? All I can tell you is what data shows. The data shows that it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't. Now, I think you might have that going into it. So, like, if I'm already a person that is more prone to be aggressive, that might that might lead me into it more. But if I'm a person that's not, me playing that game won't make me more of a violent person or a more aggressive person or more desensitized if I saw it on the street, according to studies. Mm -hmm. But, it's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of studies though, not just one random one that I pulled off of Twitter. But, I mean, <laughs> but it is, but I mean, but it is, right? So, like if all of us in here, I think you're all pretty good people. If you all played, you know, Call of Duty for six hours straight, I don't think you would go out and want to shoot the streets up. But if I was more prone to be an aggressive person, and I'm now I'm super anxious because that's been that in me, and I'm now super irritable, and someone says to me, might punch them, because I deal with that at schools all the time. So you see it on both sides. Just real quick, uh, when you talked about single person games, does that count for the ones in the 80s? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what they're really just trying to say is the reason that we say single 
shooter games is because the screen is always moving. If you've okay, ever played Horizon, was... so when your screen is moving and lights are flashing at you and you're doing all the things, it does trigger the things moving. That's just kind of what the science was showing. Uh, not even the content, just the movement in the brain and all that stuff. And then I, I listen to podcasts at night, but I keep the screen away so it doesn't. Uh, does that, that still cause the stress? So I, I forgot to even bring this up because this is like such a short amount of time. They recommend that you just don't have your phones in your room when you sleep. So okay. with your kids, they should be charging it downstairs and sleeping upstairs because it's not just that it's there, it's the desire to want to be on it, right? So before you go to bed, you got to check it one more time, you wake up and check it, and have kids, what if I use it for alarm clock? Get a better alarm clock, yeah. right? I mean, just things that we can. Okay, great, thank you. No problem. Questions, comments? Constant music. Just mm. like she's saying, no, not screen time, but we've got teams, and I, I mean, I, I like music, but just constant noise. Is there any correlation there? I think what they talk about with that, because it was brought up, but not in this setting, but it's more like if that's your way of withdrawal, like dissociation from other people to kind of block everything out. I mean, music is a weird deal because the rhythms of it can also. Play the rhythm of the body, but I don't have all the skills on that one. Thank you. I'd like to say that too. All right, any other questions? I'll be around. If you have questions, you guys can go to other things. I don't hold you up. This is a lot of information. If you have any other questions or anything, I'll hang around for a little bit.